I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. That text is, a, of course, an agrarian text, one that has to do with the things that are produced in the field. You know, when we uh, read the parables of Jesus and read the instructions that he's giving us in his lifetime, he chooses those examples for which we're familiar, of which we're familiar. We, we know these things. We know things about fruit trees. We know things about vines. We know things about wheat growing in the field. We, we know things that are typically in our peripheral vision and in our focused vision. We know these things because it's all around us. He doesn't choose something that's obscure or something that only a few could understand, but he chooses normal, everyday objects in order to present his truth. Now, the object he has here is that of fruit, and he uses a, fruit, uses a vine. Now, I don't know how many of you are familiar with grapevines, but it's, it's fairly common. And he talks about the fact that he's the branch, and obviously in the Old Testament we read that Jesus is the root of David also, so he's the one who supplies the nutrients to the branches that supply the fruit. Now, fruit is the expected product of certain types of trees and vines. It's expected. So when you see an apple tree, you... You, if, you, if you recognize the bark and the leaves, you anticipate a fruit, an apple, or an orange, or whatever it may be, or a fig. You anticipate fruit on that tree. If there's no fruit, then, then there's something wrong, because it has been designed to produce fruit. So anything less than fruit on a fruit tree is unnatural. Or it indicates that there, there's some, some sort of a deterioration of the tree itself, some rot in the branches or in the root, and it simply cannot produce the fruit. When God created man, he, pre, he created us to produce fruit. We're supposed to produce fruit. And anything le less than that is unnatural. And he wants us to produce good fruit. Now, good fruit comes from a tree or a vine that has been maintained and managed. Bad fruit comes from a tree or a vine that is left to itself and actually does not get the proper nutrients or source of food that it needs in order to produce 
decent fruit. Now, we are, as human beings, natural fruit bearers. We will produce some sort of fruit. We will. That's how God designed us. We have an impact upon others. The fruit that we produce is some sort of impression and impact that we have on somebody else. Now, that may be sort of ethereal to you, but let's, let's see if we can give it, get it a little more definitive. Jesus uses the term fruit to describe both good and bad effects. Okay, let's see if we can, we can winnow it down to this. The good or bad effects that we have on other people is the type of fruit that we produce. Here's another text in Luke chapter 6 and verse 43 through 45. A good tree brings forth not corrupt fruit, neither does a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. So you can't interchange them. A good tree will, will bring forth good fruit. He says it sort of in the negative, cast it in the negative. A good tree will not bring forth bad fruit. A bad tree will not bring forth good fruit. Okay. He says, every tree is known by his own fruit. Of thorns, men do not gather figs, nor of bramble bushes do they gather grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good. Evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart, of his heart brings forth that which is evil. For of the abundance, and here's a, here's a key. Here's the last little sentence on this. He says, that which is evil, for of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So he's talking about fruit that comes out of your mouth. Okay. Now we have an impact. We all have an impact on the world around us. Some of us think that we don't. Some of us feel like we just, we're just invisible. We're ghosting everybody. But that's not true. You will have an impact on someone. You may have an impact on a lot of people. Some of you will leave a larger imprint in the sand than others. Maybe I should say wet concrete. But it will remain. You will leave an imprint. Jesus called this imprint fruit. We call it an impression. I will leave an impression on someone. Maybe you. You will leave an impression on someone. Maybe me. But an impression will be led left by your life. You will leave one. Your life will impact yourself and it will impact others. This is common sense. You cannot ghost everyone. You will have an impact on someone. You have an impact on your mother, on your parents, on your siblings. You'll have an impact on someone. We are real. We are real people. And we have real characters. Our character is real. And the impressions we make are real. And that is, my friend, fruit. Okay? That's the fruit we're talking about. We may not leave behind a monument carved in granite or a portrait painted with vibrant colors or a... Uh, journal, a book written about ourselves, but we will read, we will leave some sort of impression. People will remember you when you're gone. You will be remembered. Okay. 
Some will remember you fondly. Some will breathe a, breathe a sigh of relief that you're gone. But you will be remembered by someone. You will make an impression. Your picture will either be displayed in the revered halls of memory of man's memorial, or you, it will be hidden deep in the basements of shame. You'll, you'll have one. You'll have fame or shame. One of the two. You will be recalled with fondness or with regret. So we're talking about when you're gone. But how about when you're here now? And that's what we want to talk about right now. In, in addition to all this, we know that God wants you to produce some sort of fruit. And he wants you to produce the good sort. Consider, consider people that you know that are leaving behind good impressions and bad impressions. Think about Adolf Hitler and all the people he impressed and all the bad impressions that all of his followers left. And then think about Jesus Christ and what kind of impression that wonderful man left and what kind of good that he continued to produce in his life and in his, in his activities. Our fruit, actually, is the product of our character. If you have a good character, you'll produce good fruit. We're either producing good apples or rotten apples. But we are producing some type of fruit. Those who experience our behavior are either improved by us and by our presence, or they're diminished by our presence. Okay. So, you are leaving an impression, and your impression is dictated by your character, of the type of person you are. And that involves, today, we're talking about fruit, that involves self-examination. I'm not going to examine you, and I ask you not to examine me. That's not always possible, but let's try. Let's examine ourselves. First thing we know is that, that we cannot be neutral. We will produce and put on some fruit. We'll either put on good fruit or bad fruit. We cannot be neutral. It will happen. Jesus said every branch that bears not fruit will be taken away. You have to do something or you'll, you, will, you will be barren and you'll be account, called into accounting for it. When John the Baptist got here, he made a statement that's significant. He was trying to get people to repent and get busy and get their lives right. And in Matthew chapter 3 at verse 10, he says, Now also, he said, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that brings not forth good fruit is cut down and cast into the fire. It's going to produce some fruit. Next, the fruit you put, you put on, if it's going to be good fruit, will have to be purged. In other words, it'll have to be pruned. Your, your vines will have to be pruned. Your limbs will have to be pruned. Branches pruned. If you've been in this country very long, in the northwest, you've probably seen some old apple trees. They have a lot of blossoms, but no fruit because they're not being tended to. Or if you see the fruit, it's little tiny nubby stuff that's, that's not worth eating. You couldn't eat it. Well, the fruit has to be purged. Now, that means it has to be pruned. It has to be maintained. It has to be managed. The tru- tree has to be managed. So in Luke chapter 13, verse 6 through 9, it says, this is Jesus. 
he spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. Now, fig trees usually are not planted in vineyards, but this one was planted in the vineyard, so it was standing up by itself in a vineyard, in a grape vineyard. And it wasn't producing fruit. That was the problem. He came and he sought fruit thereon and found none. Then he said to the dresser of the vineyard, he said, he pointed into this fig tree and he said, Behold, these three years I've come seeking fruit on this tree and I don't find any. Cut it down because it cumbers the ground. It's not doing any good. Okay. And the man answered, the, the, the fellow answered that was keeping the vineyard. He said, Lord, let it alone this year also. I'll dig about it and dung it. And he said, what he meant was he's going to disturb the soil and put some fertilizer on it. Put some, put some food for that, for that tree to produce some fruit. And if it bear not fruit, then after that, cut it down. Finally, we have to understand then, if we're going to produce fruit, we're going to have to be purged, trimmed up once in a while and fertilized, given some source of strength. Finally, in order for us to get our strength, we have to get our strength to put on good fruit. We have to get our strength from Jesus. Because the text says that we read earlier in John 15, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. So it's easier for us to understand then, in order for us to put on good fruit, we have to have a good source of nutrients. And that comes from our Lord Jesus. So he has to furnishes us with the inner strength we need and the character we need in order to put on good fruit. Now, I'm going to make a distinction here. Your character will produce the fruit, but your character has to be developed so that the fruit that you put on will be worthwhile. That will be advantageous. It will be good fruit. So that's that's a little tricky here. I'm, I'm going to read a text in Galatians chapter 5 at verse 16 through 25. For Jesus said this, he said, walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So he's trying to get individuals to think about staying with the spirit of God, letting the spirit provide their direction and not let the lust of the flesh or the, the uh, appeal of the world to get them to do bad things. Now, so he says the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. So these are not compatible. These are contrary one to the other, so that you can't do the things that you want to do. If you are led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. So the Old Testament law said, don't do this, don't do that, don't do something else. And the flesh said, I, I, I want to do it because you're telling me I can't do it. Anyway, the flesh is not susceptible to the law like it is to the Spirit. So the Spirit of God works in a different way. The Spirit of Jesus Christ and the Spirit of the Holy Spirit comes into our heart through the Word. We understand that. And then begins to work on us and begins to change our character from the inside out, not from the outside in. You can't get it from the outside in. It has to come from the inside, inside out. If you're led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. Now he, he switches over and says, here's what happens when, you're, when your character is not good. The works of the flesh, so you're involved in the flesh. Here's what happens. These are, these are manifest. Adultery, so you're going to commit adultery. Fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, reveling, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. 
But the fruit of the Spirit. Now then, he's not talking about your fruit. He's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, he was talking about your fruit before when he says you're committing adultery, that's your fruit. Lasciviousness, that's your fruit. Murder, that's your fruit. All these things are your fruit. But now he's going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. What, what's he's, what he's going to tell you is, here's how you get your character right so you can have good fruit. This is the way you get your character straightened up. Okay, the fruit of the Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit produce something in you first. And the Holy Spirit produces love, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the lust and affections thereof. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. And when you walk in the Spirit, then you have Fruit. Now you're fruit. Before the fruit of the Spirit is what's happening to you, now your fruit is what's happening to you from me. You follow? It's a little tricky, but it's there. Now, Paul is advising people against their fleshly lust, but he's telling them that in order for them to have good fruit and to walk in the Spirit, they've got to change, and the only way the change comes is by the Spirit. Producing fruit in you. It's the Spirit producing fruit in you. Then you produce the fruit because your character is molded by and supplied by and resourced by the Holy Spirit, which comes, of course, through God's Word. Let the Word in. Let Him have His effect on you. Okay. Being led by the Spirit will change our hearts so that the qualities of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith... Meekness and temperance will control the type of fruit that we produce. Okay. The good fruit comes when we walk in the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit benefits us directly, and therefore the fruit of the Holy Spirit places in our hearts will affect how our lives will affect other lives. Does that sound rational? Reasonable? Those who are attached to Jesus then are expected, because they have fruits of the Spirit, they're expected to do good works. Let it out. Okay? Ephesians 2.10 says, We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Galatians 6.10 says, Have we therefore have an opportunity to let us do good unto all men, especially those of the household of faith. Now James 2.14 says, what does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he has faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, you don't give them those things that they need to the body. What does it profit you? Even so, faith that have not works is dead being alone. Okay. Paul wrote, however, that even though if he had some of these obvious... Now, these are fruits. Our works are fruits. So we do good deeds. Okay, that's a good fruit. And we do them because Jesus has given us the instruction to do them. But what if we're doing them because we want to do them instead of because we have the proper motivation and the proper attitude, the proper character? This again is tricky. But let's look at what Paul says about it in 1 Corinthians 13. 
He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels. So he's speaking, preaching. He's preaching the gospel. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I am become as sounding brass, tinkling cymbal. It's not doing me any good, he's saying. He's doing some good, not doing him any good. Okay. He said, although I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have not and have all faith so I could remove mountains and have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. So he, he's talking about the fact that if I don't have the fruits of the Spirit in my heart, whatever I'm doing outwardly is actually not profiting me. It's profiting everybody else. As a matter of fact, when we look at some of the great works of charity and some of the great good that's being done in the name of Jesus all over the world, it may be that a lot of this is being done simply because of the influence of Jesus and not because of the character of the one doing the good works. Now, we can't judge that, but I'm just saying that can happen. The influence of Jesus is so powerful that even even though people are not working by love, it's still happening because of the influence and the character of Jesus. Okay. Now, Paul does recognize the good works that should characterize a believer. He recognizes that we should teach good things. And he recognizes that we should help the indigent and the poor. So he recognizes the good fruit of the gospel, but he indicates that the good fruit of the tree should be produced by a noble motive. And that noble motive is love. Now abides faith, hope, and charity, and the greatest of these is charity or love. Without the benefits of the fruit of the Spirit, love, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, we'd become as churlish, miserly, selfish, greedy, and cold-hearted. If we don't have those qualities, it shrinks us up. We would not extend ourselves if we don't have those qualities within ourselves. Sometimes we do something good, but still, if those qualities of the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit are not within us, what we're producing will eventually wither us up anyway. One of the most foremost good works of fruit, of the fruit of the Spirit, and the fruit of our fruit is that of teaching the gospel. Now there's good teaching and bad teaching. If we teach the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's good fruit. If we teach a false doctrine, that's bad fruit. And that's understandable. It is the truth that frees souls. John 8, verse 32. You should know the truth, the truth shall make you free. So if I'm out teaching my opinion and my tradition and my think souls, I'm producing bad fruit. But if I am out teaching God's Word, the Holy Word of God, as it is written and where it is written in its context in every way, showing God's Word, then I'm producing good fruit. And if I'm doing it by love, if I'm doing it because I want to, not because I want to show you up, but if I'm doing it because I want to, I'm doing it because the fruit of the Spirit is in me, then the fruit is bound to be good, should be. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 through 37. He says, Either make the tree good and fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and the fruit corrupt. The tree is known by its fruit. O generation of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? 
You see the point? How can you, being evil, speak good things? So there's a, there's a problem sometimes. If we're trying to speak good things and we're not good people doing it, that's a problem, isn't it? Boy, it's a big problem. That's where everybody says, well, oh, you big hypocrite, what are you doing telling me what to do? You see the problem? Sure, it's there. It's always been there. He said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. Evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. By your words you shall be judged and justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. The bad fruit would be false doctrine. Paul said, I'm, I'm amazed. I, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that calls you into the grace of God into another gospel, which is not another gospel. But there are some that trouble you and pervert the gospel of Christ. Galatians 1, verse 6 and 7. In Revelation 22, the writer of the book of Revelation finished up by saying, don't add to and don't take from the words of the book of this prophecy. So we, we can't really set forth bad doctrine and call it good fruit. We have to be careful. We have to be cautious. God's Word is the most amazing document in this whole wide world. And we sure shouldn't be trying to twist it around to fit our notions and our ideas and distorting it and making bad fruit out of good fruit. We shouldn't be doing that. This sort of bad fruit is readily apparent. Now, but sometimes when we're preaching the gospel and teaching the gospel, and we have to be very careful of this, sometimes we're, we're saying it like uh, we're trying to show someone, well, you're wrong in what you're believing. Not only do we want to show them we're wrong, but we want to show them we're glad they're wrong. You follow what I'm saying? Somebody said one time, well, he told me I was going to hell, and he kind of acted like he was glad that I was going there. We don't want to do that. Paul made mention of this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 15. He said, some preach Christ of envy and strife. Some were preaching Christ out of envy and strife. They were preaching him because they, they were envious and they were strifeful. Some of goodwill. He said, the one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other preach him of love, knowing that I'm set for the defense of the gospel. So when we preach the word, not only should we preach it in its entirety, and in its integrity, but we should preach it with a good attitude. Preach it from love. Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Let your, let your speech be with grace. And in Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love. You may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. We shouldn't be trying to hurt somebody's feelings by preaching God's truth or teaching God's truth. That's not good fruit. Paul further stated, and here's the point I want to make at this point, because we're making impressions now by our life and by the, the fruit of the Spirit that the, the Spirit has produced in us. Listen carefully. Our words should be uplifting, encouraging, optimistic. Wow. When you get ready to bring somebody down emotionally, you're doing the wrong thing. When you try to produce a downer in someone because you feel down yourself or depressed yourself, 
you're doing the wrong thing. Matter of fact, your words are going to judge you. My words are going to judge me, just like your words will judge you. But basically, we need to be sure that we're saying things that uplift someone and fortify and strengthen their hearts and their lives rather than bringing them down and making them feel bad about themselves and about you. Now, Paul made a statement like this in 1 Corinthians 14, 5. He said, I would that you all spoke with tongues, that is, spoke other languages, because that's, that's how the gospel was first presented so that people would understand that this is God's word. They were speaking other languages that they had never learned before, so they, they would understand that, that that was a message coming from God. Once it's written down, of course, we've got it in a permanent form. It's memorialized. But Paul could speak with different languages. And that was a demonstration that what he was saying was from God. Okay. He said, I would. He said, I wish you could all speak with different languages, but rather that you prophesied. Now, the word prophesy doesn't mean predict the future. It means speak on behalf of, speak in front of. That's basically the actual Greek meaning, speak in front of. So, you're speaking for, we're speaking for God, basically, is what we're doing. So we have to be very careful. He said, greater is he that prophesies than the one who's speaking for God, because he's speaking God's word, than he that speaks with tongues, except he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. The word edifying means built up, encouraged. He said, I, want, I don't care if you're speaking all the tongues you can. I, I can speak with many different tongues. He said, but it doesn't do me any good unless I, I'm building you up, unless I'm making you stronger. I'm making you feel better about your God and about yourself. Okay. Now that's a chore, isn't it? To make feel, people feel better. Sometimes we get in the, in the habit of thinking, well, if I feel bad, you ought to feel bad with me. And I'll feel better when you feel worse. That happens. We, we've, got to, we've got to avoid that. What we do and what we say and the, the language we use should be fortifying, bracing, building up. That's what he's saying. 1 Corinthians 14, 26, let all things be done unto edifying. Build somebody up. Strengthen them. Make them feel better about their, themselves and about their God. Let everyone please his neighbor. Romans 15, 2, for his good to edification. When somebody walks away from you feeling worse than they did before they came up into your presence, that's terrible. People should feel better about themselves, about you, about life itself, and certainly about God once they come in contact with you. But if they leave with their head hung low and their heels scuffing along, that's not good. People should feel better if your fruit is right. That's basically what we're talking about. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another as ye also do. First Thessalonians 5, verse 11. A major characteristic of good fruit, of a good tree, is to produce healthy and nourishing fruit that nourishes the soul. 
Nourish someone's soul. Feed their soul. Oh, we can feed a body. We know how to do that. We can we can buy a loaf of bread and a, and a pound of fish or whatever it may be. We can feed a body. But can you feed a soul? That's what your fruit is supposed to be doing. Feeding souls. Making people feel better after they have come in contact with you. And that means that we should avoid as fruit-bearing trees of the Lord, we should avoid such things as complaining and murmuring about things that dissatisfy us. That's hard too, isn't it? It's, it? It sure is easy to kick the can down the road instead of picking it up and putting it where it goes. Now, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 5, with many of them, he was talking about Israel that came out of Egyptian bondage and, and it had access to all the miracles of God. The ten plagues that came upon the Egyptians did not touch the Israelites. They came out unscathed. They didn't even have a bug bite when they got, when they got loose from Egypt. They got to the, to the Red Sea and it parted in front of them. They walked across, not on muddy, slippery soil. They walked across on dry land. God fed them daily. Every morning had breakfast ready for them when they got up. And yet, they complained. And they murmured. Murmur, murmur, They murmured. We don't like it. It's not right. It's too sweet. It's too hot. It's too cold. It's too... They murmured. And he said, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 5 says, With many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. He said, Neither murmur as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyers. Do all things without murmuring and disputing. Okay. You know, there's, there's so many, if you read the book of Psalms, it's so uplifting in so many places. But sometimes you'll read the psalm, well, actually, if you read Psalm 69 and 109, you'd find some pretty pretty raw stuff in those psalms. But there's, there's a psalm in the chapter 77, Psalms chapter 77, first three verses, where there's a fellow, I think his name is Asaph, and he's complaining to God. He's complaining. Lord, you know, and sometimes you read in the Old Testament individuals who did complain to God, but here's one that did. Now I want to read it for you. Psalm 77, verse 1 through 3, it says, I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. He listened. In the day of my trouble I sought the Lord. My sore ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Start complaining and your spirit's going to be overwhelmed. That's what's happening. Here's the guy. Well, of course, the, the beauty of this thing is the further the Psalms goes, the better it gets because the guy came out of it. He came out of it and he got feeling better because God heard him and he remembered he shouldn't be doing that. All right. Good fruit. I want to tell you this. That being a, a good fruit tree is a wonderful thing to, to try to accomplish and, and to accomplish in your life. And we know how to do it. We know how to do it. We need to stay in touch with Jesus. We need to let the Holy Spirit come through our lives 
sweep through our lives and produce the fruit that he wants to produce and will produce the kind of character. I don't know what I'm doing, really. If I can talk to somebody about the Lord, I will, and you will too. But I have to really be careful about how I do it. I don't want to complain in the bitterness of my soul about what's going on. And I don't want you to feel depressed every time you're around me and feel like things are not going well, the world's going somewhere in a, in a basket. We, we don't want to do that. But it is possible that you can be a, a good, strong fruit tree. One of, the, one of the prettiest psalms is Psalm chapter 1. Now I'm going to read this and close this lesson with you. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of waters. Well, obviously, if you're meditating on the Word of God, you're, you're soaking in the Spirit of God. And he brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. Whatsoever he, do, shall, whatsoever he does, he shall prosper. The ungodly are not like this, but they're like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish like a tree planted by the waters. Your leaf won't fade and your fruit won't wither. God help you be that type of tree that you produce the type of fruit that when people come along, they want to be around you, they want to know you, they want to talk to you, they want to feel like you know where you're going, that you feel good about yourself and you feel good about them and you feel good about the Lord. They want to know that about you like a tree planted by the waters. Be that tree. Let's stand and sing a song of invitation.